Thank you for joining us for this episode of Take Notice, Amplifying Black Stories. I'm your host, Allison Preisinger-Higgins. Take Notice, Amplifying Black Stories is a podcast exploring society, culture, and current events through conversation. We aspire to create an open, respectful, and equitable space where guests may feel free to share their truth and lived experiences. Our core values are rooted in community, connection, and personal development. Stories help us learn, relate, and grow. We are here to listen, to take notice. Thank you for being with us. I would like to acknowledge the land on which this episode was created. I would like to show gratitude to the traditional ancestral land of the Coast Salish people, including the Duwamish people past and present, recognizing that these names are not the original names of the people of these areas. I encourage listeners to research the land on which you live and are listening right now. Recognizing this is just the beginning. The more you explore, challenge, and learn, the more questions may arise, but this is how we grow and connect. Welcome. Thank you for being with us. This is the last interview episode of 2022. We will be taking a break during the holidays, but there will be one more episode next week. So stay tuned for that. And it's a great time to catch up on previous episodes from this season or past seasons and connect with those guests that we've had the honor to interview. In this episode of Take Notice, we welcome Jawan Harris, and he discusses his family's move from New Orleans to Seattle, being interested in business at a really young age, and how his work is helping small businesses in his community. Born and raised in Seattle's South End, Jawan Harris began his journey of business ownership as a response to the city's ballooning gentrification and economic displacement of its communities of color. King's Dream Business Consulting, philosophically inspired by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Seattle's King County, was established during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic to provide small businesses across the country with technical business expertise at an affordable rate to serve the underserved. He also discusses other projects that he's a part of and some big contracts that he's had recently. Thank you for being here, and please enjoy this episode with Jawan Harris. So, Jawan, thank you for joining me on Take Notice. I appreciate your time today. How are you doing? Doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. It's been a, a good week. It's been a good month, but I'm doing pretty well. Thank you. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's already the middle of September as, as we're recording. So that's, I don't know how that happened, but <laughs> yes. Well, thank you for joining me. One of my first questions that I, I like to hear where people grew up and who they were surrounded by, but right now are you, you're in Seattle. Is that right? That's right. That's uh, same here. So we're not far at all. That's awesome. Did you grow up in Seattle or uh, somewhere else? I did. So I... I say first generation Seattle. So my family mm. relocated from New Orleans um, when I was very young. So I was born here, was born and raised here uh, in uh, the South End, actually, in Skyway, which is where my family first moved when we moved to New Orleans was, was Skyway. Back when Skyway was still considered, it was still a mostly white neighborhood. So it's funny that like, that's just the natural shift of culture, but that is where we moved to. And we've been in Skyway pretty much ever since Skyway in South Seattle. Okay, nice. Yeah, I grew up uh, north of Seattle, so I wasn't as familiar with 
all the different neighborhoods when I was growing up, but we're in the Delridge area now. Skyway is near, is it near Burien or is it, um, is that right? Yeah, Skyway is near Burien in what is considered the unincorporated areas of King County. So uh, Burien Center specifically. Uh, yeah, yeah. These federal ways, Renton maybe. So yeah, we're out there. We're closer to Renton than anything. That makes sense. Okay, nice. Yeah, I'm trying to picture all the, the map in my head. So uh, what moved you all from New Orleans to Seattle yeah. when you did? So my family, my whole immediate family lives here. They all followed each other uh, one after the other because mm-hmm. of what well, my great-grandmother actually passed here. She was visiting one of her kids uh, and passed while she was here. And my family is very, mm-hmm. uh, I, I guess, interlinked with each other, very intertwined culturally. We descend from a, a Creole Southern culture and they, once she passed, they all started moving here almost in, in honor, but then also the opportunities in New Orleans are few and far between if you're not in hospitality or entertainment, which is very limiting. It's still that way to this day. If anything, it's worse. Um, so yeah, moving to Seattle, was a strategic move. And I actually saw that one of the largest uh, migrations from New Orleans was Seattle and I think one other place on the West Coast. But a lot of people from Louisiana went to either Seattle or like California. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. More opportunities and bigger areas, maybe even, I'm not sure, I guess, population wise, but yeah, that that's interesting. So your grandma was visiting here uh, and then passed away while she was just visiting. Yeah. She didn't live here. She was oh, okay. here wow. in Ireland, so oh. rented. And that's still the area we're in. It's oh, okay. Actually wow. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. It's funny how that works with family and, and a lot of times just follow each other. Or they go yeah. everywhere, <laughs> depending yeah. on the family. We, we go where the matriarch is. He was mm. the matriarch of the family at the time. Yeah, yeah. How many uh, siblings do you have? I have five. I'm the oldest of five. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Oldest of five. And they're still in the area as well? Yep, also in Washington. Nice. And what did your parents do when you were growing up? After yeah. they got out to Seattle or either, I guess. Mm-hmm. So my mom works in healthcare. She's a, I want to say it's a patient access tech. Pretty sure that's the title. Mm. Uh, which is like the admin role that works with like the head nurse and the other like charged nurses. I'm just thinking of all the random words I've heard her say over all these yeah. different years. <laughs> I know. Sometimes it's a hard question. question. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I was a superhero. Um, yeah. yeah. That's what she, what she did. And my dad, very polar opposite. Um, and maybe that's where the attraction is. I don't know. Uh, was always in gangs, always a criminal career, um, negative influence in pretty much every way that you could be a negative influence. Oh, so wow. yeah. of relocating to Washington was my dad was getting in a lot of trouble with just rivaling gangs. Um, was getting shot a lot. So that it was also for like uh, life, not just economics, but it was like a move or die type thing. Mm, wow. Yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah. Was he able to find other opportunities when he got out here or did it shift in that way for him? Yeah, he found more. There's there is just a lot more opportunities for building 
wealthier or just the, the social programming. There's just a lot more here than in uh, New Orleans, but still uh, not. He was never necessarily a part of my life. My mom okay. did uh, all the work, like all the roles. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't in the house with you all as you're growing up so much? No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I always remember it being my mom and me. What it felt like a partnership, which I'm sure is why we probably fought the most. Mm. Growing up, that being the oldest is because it, it, there were different times when I, where the dynamic felt more like partnershipy, collaborative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you were the oldest. And, yeah. I yeah. was the oldest who worked night shifts. So I was able to watch my siblings from an, an earlier age. So it, it did, it did feel like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. When you're in that role of, of watching over your siblings, I imagine that that shifts a lot. It's a little different dynamic for sure. So growing up in the Skyway area, and you still live there now, have you been able to travel outside of there? You know, throughout your life, have you traveled in different parts of the world that you can compare or contrast to the area where you live? Yeah, actually. Uh, I have lived in New Orleans as an adult. Mm-hmm. I was able to see kind of more recently. I want to say that was as recent as 2019. So I was able to see kind of the differences in being in a predominantly New Orleans itself is predominantly black, but still paying out the federal minimum wage, minimum wage, which is the lowest you can pay an adult in the country. And then being in Seattle, which is the polar opposite socially, culturally, economically, religiously, politically, like every facet of human existence in Seattle, New Orleans, it's almost completely, it's, it felt like I was in a, a different world just living there, even though a lot of the the culture and the customs were familiar as an adult and having grown up mostly in Seattle and then going to a place um, that is still red and still has so much work to do felt like I was going back in time. I mean, mm. not just because there weren't like bike lanes and a lot of infrastructural things, but it felt like I was legitimately going back in time. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I have been to New Orleans, but only to the, um, just for like a week, I was at a conference and then in that French Quarter area yeah. and maybe mid-city a little bit. Other than that, I don't know much about the area. What area were you in when you lived there uh, yeah. as an adult? Mm-hmm. I was in the French Quarter, CBD, like the business core area when I was living down there. And it is, it is a lot of I mean, New Orleans is a lot of fun. It's fun to play, not to stay, because uh, mm. it's, it's just hard to get to get up in New Orleans if you're not in hospitality, entertainment. Similarly, but completely different. I lived on the coast of Washington for about a year, a year ago, about for about a year, and it's it's interesting. I was thinking about this the other days. Is unless you want to be in hospitality or food service industry or there's a lot of fishing out there of course because it's the coast but the opportunities aren't as they just naturally aren't as as um, plentiful as living in the seattle area or a bigger metropolitan i mean maybe that's an obvious but it's like if if we could live out there longer um given what what my husband and i do we probably would but we can't because we can't make a living doing what we want to be doing. So that's interesting because it sounds like New Orleans is very similar, but different, of course, with a lot, it's a lot bigger and a lot different issues than, than our tiny coast. But yeah, yeah, that's, that's very interesting. The further you get away from the city, I mean, New Orleans is in the city, but it just, 
And and I think what's happening in uh, really across the world right now in urban areas, intercity areas that are predominantly black is infrastructurally they're always lacking. Yeah, and that's just that's the way that it's always been. There's we're starting to see some changes there, but it, New Orleans is one of those cities that is it's predominantly black and. Uh, there's just so much money that needs to be dumped into the infrastructure and into programming, but then it's also Louisiana is a red state. So that's not something they're going to be pro pro taxes or pro pro changing anything. It's all about preserving what's already there and maintaining the social norm. So again, this is something that was very different. When I moved back to Seattle, the first day I was there, there was a protest about something. I don't even remember what it was. And I just remember feeling so like, Ah, I'm home. Like people are pro. I don't even. I couldn't even tell you what the protest was about. But they they blocked off the street and they were marching. And I was like, wow. Because when I was leaving New Orleans, they were doing a similar march to raise the minimum wage, and it fails every single time they try every year. And mm-hmm. that year, it had also failed. And then the abortion thing came a little after that. I was like, oh wow, this is wow, yeah, is different. So then I realized that Seattle really. Uh, Seattle is a bubble, like many places, but Seattle is a bubble. Like it, it will make you believe that even with the bad or the negative or the ugly sides of Seattle, that it's Seattle isn't as far off or as progressive as it is. There's there's so much uh, progress that's been done in Seattle because of uh, the culture of Seattle and of the Pacific Northwest and the area that you don't see in a lot of places, especially in the South. It's just so much more progressive and open to changing itself even if the consequence of that is sometimes performative it, seattle is just far more open to change so yeah so these are all things that i learned as um, a, a younger adult that i knew okay this is what i need out of out of life this isn't just a seattle thing now i i want to see if the grass is greener and i and i got to see and i i get it i get why so many people from around the world flock to this one area because they they recognize what I was finally able to see once I left, which is um, w- even with the good and the bad, there's far more good and there's so much work that can still be done in a place that's more tolerant of outside ideas and perspectives than a place that um, it's not even worth marching because you know how it's going to go. Wow. Yeah. That's a really good point because I think having lived here for so long, a lot of myself included, a lot of people don't realize that and forget that they, I'll just speak for myself, like it it can be easy to get stuck in like, oh, we have so much to do. And I mean, because we, we still do. And at the same time, not realizing how far forward we are compared to some other spots in the country or around the world and to kind of stop and appreciate that and, and continue to to do the work that is needed, but to appreciate that. Cause yeah, that would be a, f- uh, a frustrating to be that, that far off from even more far off from, from uh, uh, improvements and, and progress. Um, I imagine. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a great point. So when you moved back from New Orleans, uh, you moved back to the Skyway area and then what have you been up to since then? Since then, I so when I was in New Orleans, I was also going to school. I went to school for retail management, mm. uh, military university. Actually, it was called American Military University, which oh. was not military member service members and their dependents. Um, so that was really I I liked that actually. I thought it was really cool. Mm. 
So I finished my degree, came back and started working at, I don't even remember where I started working first, but I just, I started working back in my field of expertise, which is marketing, sales management, kind of operating larger teams in multi-unit locations. That's what I started doing. I remember now. It was a, park, <laughs> it was a parking company. Um, oh, okay. Company. Yeah. And uh, I managed a handful of sites across like mostly the downtown area from coming from New Orleans and did that for a while. And even while I was doing that, I was kind of dreaming up what was going to be my next move, which was uh, entrepreneurship full time, uh, getting into for me, business consulting. I want to be a business consultant. It's kind of random, but I wanted to be a business consultant for a long time. And I was what I thought I was doing the, the steps necessary to gain the experience that I needed so that I could be an effective business consultant. And yeah, that was kind of that's what I did up until COVID. I, I worked at that job and similar mm-hmm. management jobs until COVID happened. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you were in the Sorry, did you call it the military? What was it called again? The American Military yeah, School, American Military University. University. Yeah. Um, you were you in the military prior to that, or somebody in your family? I was. Uh, I joined the Army Reserves when I was uh, seventeen. I was in high school, right in high school. I had a friend that was in, and he very similar to me, socioeconomically. Uh, it's like, hey, the military will pay for your college. It's like, oh my gosh, well that. That would save me a lot of time and money um, mm-hmm. because I, I didn't even know. I feel like scholarships have probably gotten a little easier, but even back then, I mean, it was just such a so confusing to to do these scholarships and not being able to ask anyone for help. And I worked yeah. all throughout high school, so when I when I was in high school or in clubs, I was working. So the idea of being able to pay for college uh, not out of pocket was very enticing. So that's how I uh, started, got enlisted as an automated logistics specialist, which is like very similar to what they do at Amazon, just global supply, moving different inventory, different locations of supply uh, to the battlefield, out the battlefield, around different bases. Yeah. And I did that for about eight years. Oh, wow. Okay. So you did that straight out of high school. And then were you based in Washington when you were in the military or did you go somewhere else? Yeah, so based out of Washington, but we would have training missions at different deployments across the country. Okay, so you got to see a bit of the country while you're enlisted. We only went overseas once, uh, which was Europe. Uh, we went to Poland. Oh wow! Something very similar to what's happening now. Actually, Russia was threatening to invade Poland at this time, um, so a bunch of allied nations from across the globe uh, were all stationed right at the border of Poland, kind of in the forest, waiting for Russia to potentially strike. And I remember leaving thinking, oh, that was such a waste of time. Like, why do we even do that? It's not uh, like they're really going to invade. And then, of course, wow. um, years later, uh, very similar <laughs> circumstances. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Sometimes it is a delayed or a very long arcing <laughs> thing, I imagine. Wow. When you were in high school prior to, see, I'm kind of going backwards a little bit. I have more questions about back, back, back. What kind of jobs did you have when you were in high school? Yeah, I worked at, my first job was in, it was Office Depot, actually. Okay, yeah. I got that job. It was the day after I turned 16. I was so excited to start working. And 
my grandmother, who's very gregarious, is really like very charming, like magnet, like everyone loves her. You either love her or you're um, afraid of her or <laughs> both, which is probably where I am somewhere. Right. Um, she built up like a friendship with the manager at the time. He was like, hey, if you want some job, because I would go in and like help her hold stuff. I grab stuff. I think it was for like our family church. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they hired me uh, the day after I turned 16. And I loved Office Depot, even though it was so, it was boring. Like what it was, I loved being close to all the business stuff. Like I bought my first suitcase and I had a bunch of different types of folder. I mean, even down to manila folders. Like I loved everything business. I had a bunch of different pens and uh, staple, just random office supplies. And I would just acquire them over time while working there because I just thought it was, it was so cool just to, to be a business professional was like my, my thing. Yeah. So you wanted to be a business entrepreneur since you started working. It sounds like, do you know what the uh, motivation or the inspiration was behind that? I couldn't tell you. I really, sometimes we're just given a certain set of skills and, uh, or the call, yeah. Um, what have you, and you you accept it because of those that's your skill and that's your passion, and you apply yourself more naturally to your passions, or or you learn a new skill and kind of dive into that. But I mm-hmm. I started my first company when I was uh, I was nine or eight. It was oh. eight years old. Yeah. So I've always loved business, making money, and helping people, but also making money. They're yeah. probably they're probably tied for each other, and business sure. allows you to do both. Yes, absolutely. What was your business when you were eight or nine? <laughs> it was a little security guard company. There's like a there's a kid. It turned into a couple kids, but they would get uh, picked on, bullied, harassed, etc. So they would pay me to be like their bodyguard. Because um, wow. back then I was I was a quieter kid. Uh, I was very respectful because that because I was quieter and didn't want to be targeted or spotlighted but i did feel because i was the oldest i i felt like i was supposed to help people in my own way so he would like give me money to like be his like bodyguard and then over a period of time i realized that i i wouldn't have to work as hard if i broke the money down and gave it to other people to do different little things and that's how it turned into a business and that's that's Essentially, the nature of all businesses is a problem. So when they need help, and then you come up with a solution, and you get paid for your for your solution, and that was the first time that my mind was able to conceive how how business works, and then how you make money uh, without having to steal it or come about it um, other means. I was able to see what hard work looks like by starting it. No one like taught me anything about business. It was just a natural inclination just based off of what I thought was how I was going to be able to help people. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. That's an awesome first business, especially at that young age, (laughs) both being able to, like you're saying, help people and make the money no matter which, which way it scales (laughs) as far as importance. (laughs) But that's, that's pretty awesome. That's wonderful. Yeah. And, and, uh, an innate, understanding of how business works at that young it's awesome so so now what are you up to now you have king's dream consulting or king's dream business consulting yeah okay Uh, you're a 
small business consulting and management company. So we started in 2020, right at the height mm. of COVID, um, when yeah. it's very obvious that a lot of small businesses ha- had a lack or a huge gap in digital presence, just anything that had anything oh, yeah. right. online and managing your business online, which is how you run a business now. There was just a severe lack. And of course, um, like any pandemic epidemic, it, it's always disproportionately on those with less resources. Um, so that's going to be uh, disadvantaged businesses, the minority businesses, the women-owned businesses, the immigrant businesses, the LGBTQ businesses, etc. So that is kind of how we got started is working with those groups and um, providing some of the digital technical assistance that they needed to just to get online, not even to grow the company, but just to to get online and get what is uh, now like the basic requirements of starting a business uh, during COVID. So that's that's how we got started. So we didn't have to pivot online. We started online and just mm. staying that way. Yeah. Who were some of your first clients? My first client was actually someone that I met at Black Dot at a business networking event. Can't remember what the event was. Probably just a, a mastermind Monday. And I we did a group activity and I had to sit next to an older gentleman. I want to say he was in his 60s, 70s, uh, Ethiopian man. One English was probably his second or third language. And he uh, fell into what has become kind of our ideal audience uh, where he had a business, but with COVID was just losing, was bleeding money. Um, so I worked with him to do, I would go over to his sign sign company, sign shop, uh, and help him with the bookkeeping. So setting up the bookkeeping, getting him on a cloud-based accounting system that was free and easy to use, mm. and helping like upload receipts, and then doing maintenance on his website, which was a it was a WordPress website, which are always just a little bit more complicated mm-hmm. and uh, marketing campaigns and then helping with pricing. We went to an RFP meeting together, which is where I first heard of what an RFP was or understood what an RFP was and government contracting and how important that is to building wealth, especially in, in, a, in a small business space. And he was, yeah, so he was my very first client and we worked together for a few months um, after that, it was different. Saying black-owned businesses are the ones that find me the most because it, it's just more trusted, it's more credible. So all of our first clients were black women-owned businesses or black LGBTQ businesses that knew that they needed these different services like social media, digital marketing, uh, website design and development, uh, but couldn't afford I mean, even the minimum rate. So we we were charging below the minimum rate just to meet and help more people. Mm-hmm. Those were all my first clients were people that were historically uh, deprived of access to vital resources, not even luxurious, but just vital resources. And we were able to come in at really low rates and work from them and grow the business that way. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, because now it's kind of like if you don't have a website that's functional or social media in the most general sense, it's kind of like as if you didn't have 
a, a, a landline in the nineties or something, mm-hmm. you know, you have to, <laughs> you have to have these things in order for people to find your business and all these things. And if you don't have the, it's constantly changing too. So it's hard to keep up with all the, all the things. So that's awesome that you provided that service. What is an RFP? Is a request for proposal. Oh, okay. It's what the government, what state governments and organizations, local governments will and federal will use to receive bids from contractors, gotcha. third party people not associated with the city, the government. Um, oh, that's so that right. Okay. There, it's equitable because everyone can throw in a proposal. So it, it makes it more accessible so everyone can see it. Uh, we are a state certified minority owned business, which means we have, it's a point system on how they give contracts. Of course, your proposal has to be good, but then also being a certified minority owned business gives us a few extra points. I want to say 10 extra points out of a hundred. Um, so it's not like, like we're just handed anything, but it, there are a few extra points just to make it more fair because we're in a, such a small pool. But that's how I started being introduced to to that process was working with my first clients and understanding how vital it is for uh, making money, especially when you first start, even more than uh, social media and some of the other semantic things, but how to build the businesses. You'll have to be able to successfully put together a proposal right? certain industries. So, yeah, that's the process. And that would be for any kind of industry, is that correct? Just depending on what what is needed or mm-hmm. yeah pretty much any industry okay. uh, there's different classifications uh so you're able to create a proposal based off of what classification your business falls in but there's an rfp that speaks to pretty much every every industry of business mm. in the country okay you uh, mentioned black dot uh that's the the meeting that you had with your first client can you explain what black dot is i sure can uh so black dot is a it's basically a hub for black business and innovation um so that's a lot of business technology social health and wellness uh they do a lot of programming so they're mostly from what i can tell government funded a nonprofit organization um, that receives grants and whatnots and then uses that money to create programming that is uh, that speaks to the black community and for advancement of the black community. So uh, they also do a lot of networking events. And I happen to be at one of those networking events that I want to say his title is director of black. That is Curtis, Curtis Calhoun, who, who I met through, I think I was on their social media. I don't even know what I Googled to find out who they were. Not that they're new. They've been around for some years but I got in contact with Curtis before I knew anything about Black Dot. And he, I just remember him being very welcoming. Uh, even though I was a stranger and we met digitally, mm. he was very welcoming and invited me to come. And if I wanted to even teach so I can educate people on the different things that I had learned. Yeah. So that was, really, that was a really good connection to have early on. It's never too early to start networking. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, it sounds like an amazing foundation to have that that connection. And then it sounds like you started, it wasn't just you starting your business. Did you have team members on that you worked with? Yeah. Uh, so I get in the habit of saying we. Uh, in the beginning, it was definitely just me. Uh, and it was just me for, for some time. Let's yeah. say not too long, actually. 
uh, because I had managed so many different companies, I knew that you're not getting anywhere without a team. You can't do everything. It's not possible. And I, I already knew that going in. So I, that's how I hired people. I created job ads on Facebook jobs, which is free to create the, the job ad. And sometimes I promote them and spend like five to $20 so more people could see it. And this is COVID. So everyone was applying just to, right. just to get more money, but then also to work from home. Those were my first hires with like a social media manager and a website designer. Yep. Those are the first ones. And I, I brought them on probably in the first three months of the business. Oh, wow. That's wonderful. That's really great. Especially during COVID, you know, it, being able to provide job opportunities during that time. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Wow. Especially there's 15 of us now, but wow. being able to create job opportunities is something that I probably don't think about too much because we, I look at everything that we do creating job opportunities for our clients, which right. is, creates a ripple effect that is really cool to see. Every time they hire someone new or expand in any regard, is that's how I measure my success and if what we're doing is working. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, both both sides of it, both for your team and also all the different hubs of businesses that you help. That's awesome. Absolutely. Wonderful. So who would you say, who or what would you say was a big influence in your life while you're growing up? To throw out a few that I can think mm -hmm. that had the most impact on how I interact and how I a lot of my, my attitude and my temperament now is probably Marcus. I was introduced to Marcus Garvey at an early age, mm. um, X at an early age, Martin Luther King, of course, is uh, affectionately where the name Kingstream Consultant comes from, and then my grandmother. So those four. <laughs> yeah. Those four, just, just overzealous, dedicated, vocal, intelligent, persevering uh, leaders, just people who have a, a natural a natural leadership quality about them that just makes people in masses wants to want to follow them because they they're so pious and so dedicated to what it is that they're doing. And with Marcus Garvey and Malcolm X specifically, the the influence was a lot of what they talked about with just centralization and centralizing the black dollar, perpetuating our, our own money and working together to grow our own businesses without always expecting a handout or help from anyone else. Um, and this is all in accordance and around just the, the black, black love, black power movement. It's just autonomy. It was finally after decades and centuries and centuries of being, being possessions, now being able to own possessions and property and just being autonomous and what it takes to be autonomous in this country. That's what a lot of their teachings, at least what stuck with me. So the reason why I wanted to go into business consulting in the first place is uh, because I saw the problem with, because I watched all of these black, brown, minority, woman-owned businesses in Seattle specifically failing year after year, or just the, the quality of service, I just didn't feel like matched. The impact, the cultural impact, the identity impact of these different places, because they didn't have the means to upgrade these different things. And as a result, either failed or failed just from lack of knowledge, lack of cash flow or understanding finances, which is so important for starting a business uh, in, in any category. A lot of their teachings taught me just how to 
that the only way that we're going to fix these issues is to look at it more systemically. And that's what I, and more as an economist and group, group economics specifically. So I saw business consulting as a way that I was going to be able to help to facilitate or be a steward of group economics for oppressed groups in Seattle. It turned national because of COVID, but that was always the intent is we're going to help group economics, help these different smaller oppressed groups be able to compete and not even just compete, but be able to be profitable so that they can enjoy the fruits of their labor, not just burn out, which is what a lot of our BIPOC businesses do. They just burn out or they they run out of cash. They bankrupt themselves. Mm -hmm. So your, your business is now, did you say your business is now spread outside of the state? You've, you're consulting with in different yeah. areas? So we consult nationally. So we have our largest footprint is in Washington, but we also do a lot of work with black businesses in Florida, uh, black businesses in Texas, uh, black businesses in Atlanta. We also have partnerships kind of spread around too. But yeah, we reach a lot of different minority groups, but the black businesses are, are the highest and they're in a lot of different uh, predominantly black metropolitan areas. And because of COVID, I won't say thanks to, but because of COVID, right. we, we had to go online. So then um, there was no reason to limit ourselves to just what we could see when what is happening in Seattle is synonymous with what's happening across the country and across the world. And these different oppressed groups finally collectively growing in consciousness and what it's going to take for them to see any type of freedom in this country. And business happens to be one of those vehicles that is a guarantee that you can set yourself free, metaphorically, business, real estate, etc. Mm -hmm. We're all starting to realize that collectively for the first time. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. Being able to reach out to anywhere in the nation. Uh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, because it's definitely you found you found that need that is out there. <laughs> One of the many, I suppose. But I have another question for you. But before that, I'm I'm interested to hear what you're most excited for with King's Dream Consulting. Like what's on the horizon for your for your company? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so currently we're on contract with the city of Seattle, the Office of Economic Development specifically, to do financial literacy workshops and to do one-on-one business coaching sessions because uh, the city knows that to reach these different populations of people, it it can't come from the city. It's got to come from people that the community trust um, that can create culturally responsive curriculum and programming. So that's something that we're doing now. But beyond that, we, we just want to grow in the government sector so we can continue to work with not just individuals, but also with with neighborhoods. Like we, we want to be responsible for helping whole neighborhoods because this goes back to the group economics, excuse me, and building uh, sustainable business models for the area because I, I don't want King's Dream to put out fires. I want us to solve uh, the reason why the fires are happening in the first place so that we can build things that will last for generations and generations. Another thing that we're working on is launching Shop Skyway. Shop Skyway is a nonprofit organization. It was one of the, I want to say, 45 projects that were selected as a result of a participatory budget, the first participatory budget of the state, uh, which allowed people from the community, anyone, to 
vote on a ballot for what projects they wanted to see happen in their community. My community, which was, again, these were all unincorporated areas. So ones that don't have government, that don't have mayors, that don't have a lot of the public infrastructure and public services that they need <clears throat> to work autonomously. So Shop Skyway was one of the proposals that were selected. This is rather recent. I want to say within the last week, maybe. Um, so we'll be launching that, working with the Shop Skyway nonprofit as King Street, just to help launch what will be a, a revitalization of much needed upgrades for Skyway's business core, which is in just like the rest of the area is an underserved area of businesses and business owners that are majority of color and that are basically a hundred percent mom and pop, uh, which is my, my go-to is, is smaller mom and pop generational businesses that have become staples in the community that are needed for the community to have an identity. You need business and you need art. Those are the two in my own opinion. Mm -hmm. And, through Shop Skyway, we'll be able to work with a lot of those business owners and help uh, create growth services so that they can be sustainable, but then also they can grow, create more jobs in Skyway, more innovation in Skyway, um, and improve just the life, the livelihood and the lifestyle of the residents that live in Skyway, because that is how, uh, that's what businesses do. Uh, these businesses could fund their own social programming. And this is where the autonomy comes from. And they could also invest in their own needs so that we're not always waiting for a large call of action from the city or from the state or from the federal government to fix things that we can fix ourselves that we understand ourselves. So that's probably one of the, the biggest projects on the, on the horizon other than the financial health workshops. Yeah, that sounds very exciting. And one of the things that I really liked when I looked up your website before we met was that the focus is small mom and pop shops and and businesses that have been around for generations and trying to sustain those because that is what makes our town so unique and and also um, sustains them. Uh, so that's wonderful that you're that uh, Shop Skyway is getting started. And how would Shop Skyway function differently than um, King's Dream Consulting? So what what would be the separation there? Yeah. Well, Shop Skyway is a nonprofit, so that's a big budget. Mm -hmm. So it'll be funded through this budgeting process, which where they get those funds, it was through taxing the two dispensaries that are in Skyway. Oh, uh, interesting. Dispensaries okay. are a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> Unpopular opinion. But uh, through taxing them, just in the short time that those dispensaries have been there, these are small dispensaries. I mean, they're not even like these big immaculate. They have been able to allocate millions of dollars for social programming. Wow to improve the lives of people that live in these areas. So they're, they're different because one will be funded through grants and through the state, through the city, through government. And Kingstream is just, uh, we'll provide services. Sure. Nonprofit. But the nonprofit also will work collaboratively with other affinity groups. So different groups that already operate, that are already doing this type of work in Skyway so that we're not coming in and then taking over, but working collaboratively to also help increase the capacity of these other organizations in Skyway that already exist. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Having the opportunity to have the funds from those dispensaries, I mean, it all is, it seems like a win-win at this point, as far yes. as that goes. <laughs> My other question is, what moment or experience elevated you to where you are 
now? Is there something that pops into mind when you think of that? Yeah, probably. I mean, you never forget the, the first deal you have ever signed. But we did, I want to say it was last year. It had to have been. Uh, last year, we did social media for uh, the mayoral race. So not exactly what King's Ring was started for. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> small business consulting and management firm. But we did social media for Mayor Bruce Harrell, actually. That was probably the moment that I, I saw how big business consulting and management could be for, for us and for our individual people mm-hmm. uh, or our audience because of some of the pillars of just economics that Bruce Harrow as more, more of a centrist stood for. So it, it spoke to some of those. Not that we have ever taken aside politically, but we, I mean, you got to go where, with where the check is, but sure. you, you get to speak to small business growth and economics uh, in a way that made sense for our clients. So that, that just in, because of all of the attention that that received, that was probably um, a larger moment for us. And just having such a small team and doing so much work, it was around the clock because it's, oh. it's politics. So it sees so many more people and the Twitter messages and keeping up with that was so um, just volatile. It was like a minefield. Like you mm. can't say the right thing. This is also uh, where I realized I don't want to do politics. I'm the thing ever. I, I don't see it because um, it's too divisive. And I don't want to be divisive. Yeah. But yeah, that was a big one. And then working with the driver's union, um, which is mm. the, the union of Uber and Lyft drivers or Gig gig drivers here in Seattle um, that is now through the last legislative win that they just had will be expanded to the state of Washington, but they are responsible for raising the minimum wage for the drivers and just their their civil needs as as wards of the city and as, I mean it's it's so important to have different modes of transportation, but through COVID when a lot of the rates were being spiked. Um, um. Yeah. Yeah. During the pandemic, the drivers weren't seeing that extra money. Um, that was just going to Uber and Lyft as like a price price gouging thing. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And just being unfairly what they call uh, deactivated. So being like fired, essentially. Um, oh. Mm-hmm. Unfairly, usually without merit or without evidence or justification. Most Uber and Lyft drivers, at least in Washington, are immigrants. Um, and are specifically African or black immigrants as the largest group. Um, so they need this money, especially those without uh, the paperwork to get uh, the jobs that I'm sure they would rather have. Uh, they mm. need this money to help their communities and their own infrastructure work and their families work. So that's what Drivers Union does. And that one, same thing, just because of the people that see it and the, the impact that it's having is such a large impact that has a ripple effect and uh, that has been this the work that we've done with that has been very exciting and meaningful. Wow. Yeah. It sounds like it. And in only two years of being an organization or a business, you've We're it sounds like you've had some yeah, some large contracts already and some great experiences. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all of your thoughts and your experiences. Is there anything, where can people find King's Dream Consulting? Is there anything else you wanted to highlight before we wrap up? Yeah. Um, you can find King's Dream Consulting at, at 
Kingstream Consulting on pretty much all platforms. Shop Skyway is at Shop Skyway 206. So those are the, the two handles where you can find us. Uh, it doesn't cost anything to give a like. Mm-hmm. Uh, to give a like and follow, even if the content's not for you, just share it and help out someone else. The goal is for us to uh, just help facilitate freedom, financial freedom in America, uh, which is our service area. So that's where you can find us. And uh, final words, uh, nothing. It's been a pleasure chatting with you uh, and talking about some of these things because there aren't too many spaces where where you can stop and reflect on your journey so far because it's a continuous uh, journey. Business ownership or or leading anything is, is more a journey of self-discovery than anything. So being able to sit and talk about it is is needed. And I hope that people hear this and want to go out and start the thing that they've been sitting over and not waiting for the next pandemic before they start taking the risk that they need to to be happy. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I appreciate that thought. That's a very good point. Yes. Yeah, well, I appreciate your time and, and you joining me today and, and finding Take Notice and being a part of it. It's been wonderful to hear everything that you had to say, and I appreciate you very much. And I look forward to follow. I think that it's probably in everyone's interest to follow King's Dream Consulting and Shop Skyway, because like you're saying, it, it has that ripple effect that if more and more people are doing well, more and more people are going to do well. So, and it's just going to keep going and going. So that's wonderful. Thank you, Juwan, for joining me on Take Notice. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Allison. I'll share it. Thank you for joining us for Take Notice, Amplifying Black Stories. Connect with us on social media. We are at Take Notice Podcast. You can also find us at www.takenoticepodcast.org. And if you're interested in being a guest, please reach out. You can email us at takenoticepodcast at gmail.com. Take Notice Amplifying Black Stories is produced, hosted, and edited by Allison Preisinger-Heggins. Music by version Big Five featuring Darius Heggins. Thank you for being with us, and thank you for taking notice. Thank you.